Right, let's get started. Seriously, dude, man, an hour and a half. So, uh, yeah, I fell asleep. Are you f***ing kidding me? I honestly thought it'd be something serious. Dude, I was like, okay, he's, he, he, the guy is a d but not that much of a d He, you know, there must be something really bad going on. No, so the point was that, you know, we would we would use a record at one o'clock, and um, at five to one, I thought, oh, the, the sun's out. It was shining directly on my sofa. My kids are in bed. I thought, I could lie down on this sofa. It will be warm and comfortable, and that would be a lovely way to spend five minutes. Turns out it's a lovely way to spend an hour and 20 minutes. Do you know what happened to me? This is the same thing. And then this is no way of a lie. So I was like, oh, damn. I just got finishing doing the thing, right? Um, and I was like, oh, I've only got like 20 minutes. Quickly go and have lunch. You know, I could have sat out in the garden, ate my lunch, right? I came back up here. I literally came back up here. At 58, thinking, damn, I got it, you know? Oh, I don't have time to get any water. I just sat there. Are we doing this? All ready to go. What a knob. All right. Sorry. Oh, I, I did not intend to sleep like that long, but oh, it's glorious. It's so nice. My sofa's got this direct sunlight on it. It's just I beautiful. Don't care we're already more might be sunburned on my face actually it's like oh, <laughs> if, oh, seriously if you had a line that really would be amazing right shall we do this well may as well now isn't it kept me waiting for so long i mean probably it's going to be a really long preamble of us ranting at each other about me being late so uh so if you've stuck right. with it if you've stuck with us welcome to episode 17 yep welcome Oh, I'm so uncomfortable from eating my lunch quickly. You always eat your lunch quickly. I've never seen anyone inhale their food the way that you do. Honestly, I had a, I had a pet Labrador who ate slower than you. <laughs> oh, you're a right, so we're going to get on with talking about stuff. Yeah, we should. Um, so, uh, update on the lockdown. How's the how's the lockdown doing? It's all right, actually. I'm starting to kind of get a routine. Um, so I'm starting to feel a bit all right. I'm starting to think about some of the positives. I mean, because obviously we've had some, some nice weather recently. And if I was in for the whole day, the way obviously my office is, it's like um, I wouldn't have necessarily enjoyed so much of the sunshine. You know, I would have got back from home, from work, maybe just make myself a cup of tea and probably stayed in. But like now I'm, you know, I'm taking what I need to read, sitting out on a blanket in the garden, you know, doing the reading. I mean, and that's nice because, I mean, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, So I'm just trying to think ways of which to bring bring the two things together, really. Um, I'm finding I'm starting to write a little bit, but not as much as I would hope. But... um. Drinking less coffee, I noticed that. Oh, the coffee. That's interesting. I realised this a couple of days ago and thought, well, the next time we do a lockdown update, I should I should say this to you. So the, uh, it's taken me until two days ago to work out that I don't need to make coffee for two people in the morning. 
because I'm not drinking coffee with you every day. Because, because I have yeah. the same coffee machine here that I have at work. Like, identical ah. coffee machines. So, I just make this, for the first, like, two and a half weeks of this, I was just making a shitload of coffee. And I, I, not, most of it was going down the sink because you're not here to drink it. And it took me until two days ago to think, oh, why is this? Oh, that's right. I'm, there's only me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you get it through your supplies quickly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah no i'm finding because because of that we're not because this is the thing i found i still find to be honest with you i still find the most difficult is this getting started because for us getting started i come in maybe if i'm in earlier than you you know i just start going through some emails but then but my day doesn't really start until we've had a a, a chin wag oh your day coffee. doesn't begin till i'm around oh that's sweet and yeah no so i you know i have a, i have the coffee and then and then we kind of get into it right and so at the moment it's like you know i sit down i'm a bit fidgety thinking ah oh, but i haven't actually been drinking coffee and i've started realizing that um yeah that's been quite interesting drinking less coffee i found it all a bit harder this week i think maybe the last few days specifically i think I think I've gone the other way to quite a few people that I've spoken to. Like you've just said, it took you a while to get into it, but now you're sort of into a routine. Whereas I sort of focused on the better, the positives from the outset. More time with my kids. Uh, that's basically the positive. Uh, less driving. That's a positive. Uh, I focused on that from the outset. And then the last few days, I've just, I don't know. It's just tiring. I mean, I, you know, I don't have a massive social life because as described, I have two very young kids. So I don't normally go out anyway, but. I'm normally physically going out and seeing human beings. Um, because I think just because I was so busy for the first bit, then I, that sort of took my mind off it. But now I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I'm fine. I'm all right. But it's just, uh, yeah, I think it's just hit me that uh, this it's been quite a while. And we've got probably got quite a while of this to go, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we're not going to have it lifted until the Prime Minister's well again, by the look of it. Yeah, well, soon, Boris, if you're listening. Yeah. Right. Um, do we know what we're talking about this week? Um, we didn't really discuss this, but um, obviously something quite massive happened yesterday, and I think we definitely need to talk about that. Um, right. Do you want to and... do you want to kick off with what that is? Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if anyone saw this. There's press conference with Dr. Tedros, the um, Director General of the WHO. Um, gave gave a speech talking about the politicite talking about the politicite of do you want me to say that word so you say the whole sentence and i'll just come in and say that word okay talking about you say something like go on uh dr tedros and the politicite oh fucking that this is you you're doing this to me honestly i'll just come in you just you just get to the point of the sentence right and, and i'll say it go uh so yeah uh dr dr tedros of the who um gave a talk about the politicization <laughs> the politicized oh, i don't know what's wrong with it why why it's you it's because you made me wait for an hour so i've said it i've said it you know that that's the thing that's going in the edit so you may as well just carry on uh, anyhow anyhow so um where was i you were talking about the politicization. Yeah, okay. So um obviously there's lots of controversy that came out from that. There was lots of comments being You probably should uh, say the politicization of what, because we didn't get further than the word politicization. 
of the virus, uh, the politicization of the COVID-19 virus and the way in which that we, well, he, I mean, he, he, he started off by talking about in certain quarters, right? Um, that this is this is ongoing. Um, he talked much about his own personal experiences of receiving hate mail. He was talking about death threats, um, racism, not just against him, but against um, Africa as a continent. Um, but then he then he kind of paused midway through the sentence and then directed this at Taiwan. Um, and he was saying that uh, Taiwan was politicizing the virus pandemic um and that this wasn't just um you know individual people but this was being um this was being organized by the taiwan government themselves so he made reference to the ministry of foreign affairs i want to give the exact quote for what he said let me just find the exact quote so he when he's talking about the racist attacks that come to him he said uh, three months ago, this attack came from Taiwan. We need to be honest, I will be straight today from Taiwan. And Taiwan, the foreign ministry also, they know the campaign. They didn't disassociate themselves. They even started criticising me in the middle of all that insult and slur, but I didn't care. It's enough, but still, they can continue. I don't care. So, uh, so I think we probably should be clear that what he's saying is the racist attacks came from Taiwan, which doesn't itself mean that it's Taiwan as a country. But but he's saying that these attacks came from within Taiwan rather than from Taiwan. Yeah, but government. I mean, it's the point about the... But yeah, he also it, I mean, says it's... that the Ministry of Foreign Affairs were aware of this attack and didn't disassociate themselves from it. And I think that's an interesting choice of words. But go on, what were you going to say? Yeah. President Tsai Ing-wen responded quite quickly for this and saying for years Taiwan has been excluded from international organizations and we know better than anyone else what it feels like to be discriminated against and isolated. If Director General Ted Ross could withstand pressure from China and come to Taiwan to see our efforts to fight COVID-19 for himself he would see that the Taiwanese people are the true victims of unfair treatment. I do think that's particularly interesting because you know the actual campaign the majority of the campaign that's been fronted by the Taiwan Ministry of Foreign Affairs has been the hashtag Taiwan can help um, Taiwan is helping um, you, to health for all and it has really been very much a campaign of inclusion um, um, that's not to say that obviously there aren't individuals within that that would be but I'm sure that that's happening globally I would not necessarily say that that would be necessarily exclusive to Taiwan. Um, I do think it particularly interesting that that's what he singled out and it and it also confirms in in so many ways that actually using the word Taiwan within the WHO is not such a taboo after all, right? Um, so we've seen obviously in our last pod when we discussed the situation with Bruce Elwood who very interestingly um, had been removed from post right at the WHO um, and so I think that I think that obviously calls for the fact that he was worried about saying the word Taiwan or using Taiwan here obviously is the case. And I do find it I do find it somewhat shocking in many ways that it's seemingly on the positive that Taiwan's being ignored on the case of like the donations that they're making, the efforts that they have made, the con you know how they've responded to the virus. But whilst at the same time that in a situation like this, this is how it's beginning to be mediated. And to be honest with you, it kind of makes me a bit angry. And I have obviously responded to this through 
different social media at the moment and I yeah um, I find a bit of a concern um, to be honest with you I think um, a lot more needs to be looked into why this is you know the way it was just the way in which that he fronted the whole of the news things um, it, it yeah it seemed a little bit different from some of his obviously his his other talks about COVID-19 um, this I don't know I mean maybe it's just speculation but it just seemed a bit orchestrated and a bit too what's the word I'm looking for um, manufactured so um, I I don't really want to play devil's advocate on this because I, I mean I, I just agree with with you and it's um, it is uh, I, I don't have the same emotional ties to Taiwan that you do um, so I probably don't feel I probably don't have the same um, automatic emotional response to it but I mean it, it, it was pretty it, it is pretty outrageous that he would use his platform like that to attack Taiwan in a really seemingly groundless way and it does appear that this is very um, I, I don't I want to shy away from using phrases like pro-China but it, it's a uh, it's it's harder and harder to look at the WHO as something that is a politically neutral body of uh, health professionals because it just doesn't it just isn't acting that way having said that if you took out the bit about Taiwan and just had him calling for governments to stop politicizing COVID-19 there's there's little about that that you disagree with I think so the points that he was making about uh, so if you think about the things that Donald Trump has said, and, you know, we've talked about this a few weeks ago when he was constantly referring to as the Chinese virus, you know, the Chinese virus, which has now killed as of as of like, we're speaking, has killed about what, nearly three times as many Americans as it has Chinese people. Um, and that's that's not because of China. Like that many Americans are not dead because of China. They're dead because of the poor handling of it by the U.S. government. I mean, the same is true in Europe. The reason so many Europeans are dead is because the European governments didn't do the things that Asian governments did. And, that, you know, we could get into maybe there are cultural reasons why that can be. Maybe there are specific political structures that prevent it from being that way. But none of those things are China's fault. So it, the, the anti-Chinese stance, and it is an anti-Chinese stance that Donald Trump has taken over this virus, is politicizing a global pandemic for his own personal gain. And it's his personal gain because it's election year. So making it that way, making that point is is legitimate. But the fact that he names Taiwan, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he specifically named Trump or the United States for politicising. No, he doesn't. So no, in the whole of the speech, th that in itself makes it quite hypocritical. Um, yeah. But he is—he's also—he is a—he's a, a man under fire himself because the WHO has been criticised widely for the way it's responded, not just because of the China stuff. Um, and so he's. He's personally under attack. Um, when people are personally under attack, they quite often just come out fighting and sort of swinging. And, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that's, what, I'm not saying it's okay, but maybe that's what he did. Yeah. I mean, it's also quite interesting that like, obviously the BBC reported on this does do exactly what you did. It focuses primarily on that first part of his talk. I mean, it completely excludes the whole Taiwan section out of that. Um, which I thought was also quite interesting. It's not. It's not just the BBC. So actually, I mean, um, when you said you wanted to talk about this, I googled a few news reports, 
And most of the news reports that I found didn't even mention Taiwan. And it's only when Taiwan itself has responded that that becomes the story in most of the Western press, at least. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's just it was one of these things, but it's just been a line of these things. I mean, you know, just looking from what I, you know, from from what I'm seeing and the sources that I'm reading, obviously, there is a, you know, there is a systematic effort on the half of Taiwan to help. And I mean, you know, in many ways, people do this as senses of diplomacy, and diplomacy is, is by its very nature political, right? Um, but it's not negative, right? I mean, it's, you know, it is it, doing its best. I mean, it was one of the first countries to warn the WHO or to at least ask questions of the WHO on human to human contact, um, but was subsequently ignored. It just seems to be a series of things. But, you know, if you actually kind of look at it and try and break it down a little bit better, 2020 hasn't exactly been a bad year for Taiwan, right? I mean, we when we talked about the elections at the beginning in January, you know, there was a whole thing about populism, the spread of misinformation, of fake news. And yet you see an elected, you know, an election of a progressive government that somehow managed to come through in spite of all of this pressure that was put on it through these different these different means. And then, you know, you had a country that responded almost immediately to to the virus and is seen as one of one of the world's successes at the moment. And yet and yet here we are once again with, you know, having to respond in the way in which that we're needing to respond to essentially negative press being made about it. I mean, it's I mean, it, it, it's becoming much more of a challenge than it ever used to be, to be honest with you. You know, it was always a case of in the past is that whatever Taiwan did, we had to struggle and work hard enough to get it even remotely mentioned elsewhere. Now it doesn't seem to have the problem to getting the attention, but the type of attention that it, it that it seems to just get is not necessarily the correct attention. And I and it is, and it's just a, it is, it is a battle. Um, okay, we did a lot about Taiwan last week, so uh, and I, I, I don't really disagree with your comments. I think you've spoken by your standards quite articulately about it. So, um, um, on the topic of COVID nineteen. Oh yeah, let's talk about COVID nineteen. We've not mentioned that yet. So Japan uh, a couple of days ago declared a state of emergency, which, despite what I've just said. Um, a few minutes ago about the response of states in Asia to COVID-19 suggests that whilst things are, you know, things have improved enormously in China, um, Wuhan's lockdown ended, um, flights resumed. Uh, I'm sure you will have seen the pictures of uh, people queuing to get out of the city. Um, that's that's quite a moment. And actually, I was thinking, I'll come back to Japan in a sec. I was thinking actually about um, our own lockdown. So we are not, we're not even three weeks into this, right? And you think about Wuhan was the epicenter. Just that city was the real epicenter at the beginning. I mean, of course, the numbers of deaths have been dwarfed from elsewhere um, now. But that shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't downplay what actually happened in that city. They've only just come out of the lockdown. Only just. They've been in lockdown for like 13 weeks. 13 weeks. So if we are, if we get it under control as effectively as they did, and we obviously haven't, but if we did, we'd still be looking at another 10 weeks of this. We've only been under three weeks. It's not even three weeks. It's not even oh, dude, I take back what I said at the beginning. Yeah. So I'm not adjusted so, at all. So th this, this is the thing. And, and the problem is, so uh, I live in Greater Manchester. Greater Manchester Police put a tweet out yesterday or earlier today uh, showing a map of uh, areas of Greater Manchester where they've had to break up social gatherings, including in four days. This is in four days. They broke up 166 street parties, not 
Not house parties. There were another 500 house parties they broke up. Street parties. Who the f*** is having a street party? Like, I mean, even when the Queen had her jubilee, we didn't have a street party in my street. Like, who the f*** has street parties at any time, let alone during a global pandemic? 160 street parties. Uh, right. And so consider that that kind of crap is happening in this country. And there, there was nobody in Wuhan was having a bloody street party when they were under lockdown. Categorically not. So they were, they had 13 weeks of this crap and they did it. They did it better than we do. No, we are doing it much, much better. And, uh, I mean, this, this is going to go on for a long time. We can't, we can't go back to normal for a long time. And, you know, unless we are really going for the herd immunity thing, in which case hundreds of thousands of people will die. Depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, Japan. Happy for the people of Wuhan who can actually get out for a bit, but you might want to stay where you are. It's probably safer there than anywhere else right now. Um, so, Japan. Japan uh, declared a state of emergency, not across the entire country, in a number of prefectures. And that indicates that things are a bit worse in Japan than they previously had thought they were. Um, so, see, I, I've wondered about Japan. I've heard a number of people suggest that the situation in Japan has been worse than they've been willing to let on, or maybe even worse than they've kind of acknowledged and accepted themselves. So not necessarily that they're twisting the figures, but they just haven't got the right figures. Um, and, you know, we had that example we talked about previously of the, the Diamond Princess, the cruise liner, and, you know, that they, they balls that up. They kept it sitting there for ages, in, in, ostensibly in quarantine. But then the moment it was, the moment they decided to let people off, people just got off and got into taxis. So it's like, I mean, those people should now be in proper quarantine. But where did they go? And there, there was no real tracing of those people. And that's, that seems odd. Um, communicate with quite a few of our, um, former students, uh, graduates who quite a lot of them end up making their, their lives or at least going to live for some period of time in Japan for obvious reasons. Uh, and the communication from them over the last few weeks has sort of been, it's a bit weird. Like the response of one of them uh, told me the other day that the, the, the main thing they've been told to do is like open their windows. And, you know, whilst, you know, they're seeing stuff on Facebook of people back in Britain describing what lockdown is like over here and then they're looking at Japan and thinking, well, we don't seem to be doing any of that. And it, they just haven't done any of that. And it's like Japan has been the slowest of all to respond. And we haven't seen the kind of response we got in South Korea. There were a couple of sort of uh, false starts with the uh, crazy churches spraying salt water into each other's mouths and things like that. But um, but the, the overall response in South Korea has been pretty effective. We've talked about that Taiwan. We've talked about China as well. But Japan hasn't really done that. And so... Um, the fact that they've now declared states of emergency in a number of places, that gives them... I mean, the reason they declare a state of emergency is because then that allows them to do certain things, right? Things like closing schools down and stuff like that. So um, that suggests that they are waking up to the fact that things are probably worse in Japan than they had thought they were. Um, that's all a bit worrying. Yeah, um, I just want to pick up on that. It's actually a story today about governor of... So um, so she was obviously looks likely that's going to be on a collision with Abe anyway on the number of businesses she wants closed down and what. So it seems that there is a kind of a disconnect between her and Abe actually on the the kind of effects of this. So she she is obviously asking that more people should be staying home and of course she's dealing with 14 million people 
um, in Tokyo. Um, and so this is actually quite an interesting thing. So, you know, you're right. Yeah. So um, the state of emergency covers what's 56 million people um, in Tokyo and the six other provinces. Right. Yeah. So at the moment, obviously, that there's being told to stay home is obviously just a kind of a fraction of that. But um, it's yeah, it just seems interesting that she's obviously she seemingly is asking that. So it's quite interesting that they refer to this thing as being the to avoid the three C's, right? This closed spaces, crowded places and close contact. Um, um, Abe said that businesses would remain open. Restaurants should uh, take precautions um, in improving ventilation. So that links very much to what you said about this opening windows. Right. Um, but it seems that obviously not everybody in Japan is actually in agreement with this and actually are asking for much more um, stringent measures. Yeah. So it looks pretty. I don't know. I mean, so the figures in Japan at the moment look obviously significantly lower than some of the other major countries, some of the other countries that have been majorly hit, particularly in Europe. Um, but, you know, three weeks ago, we were saying that about here. And I think. I think that's the um I keep thinking back because you know as as we speak now the death toll in Britain is will probably reach about 8000 today which is an extraordinary number considering where we were just a few weeks ago and I I say I remember 2 or 3 weeks ago well when we 3 or 4 weeks ago like sort of looking at the situation as it's beginning to build up in Italy and just not really imagining that that was going to happen here understanding that probably something was going to happen here and we're, we're going to have to end up taking some measures but i think there are lots of other countries who need to learn from italy's mistake and consequently from spain and france and the uk and the united states because all of those countries have made the same mistake and i you know, I'm not going to get into making some morbid prediction about Japan, but I worry a bit about it. Yeah, no, I do. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? So, uh, I, just a brief one, really, back in China, um, still on COVID-19. Um, so, are you familiar with uh, a city called Suifengfei? Uh, no. No, neither was I. Uh, I mean, it's... It's a small city, but like Chinese standards, it's minuscule. It only holds, only holds, that's not quite what I mean, is it? Only 100,000 people live there. But it's right on the border with Russia. And so we... In Heilongjiang, right? Yes, in Heilongjiang, yeah. So the point, is, the point I wanted to make is that just as the rest of China is coming out of lockdown, that city has gone into lockdown. And so everything there is sort of off. I mean, it's isolated by Chinese standards again it's pretty isolated from the rest of the country but it's the main border crossing for uh, travelers coming via Vladivostok right so uh, they've had a surge in cases over the last couple of days all of them imported um, and you know most of them Chinese citizens who've flown from Moscow to Vladivostok and then crossed back in Suifengho so I think I think that in itself I mean there's a number of little threads that you could pick up there, but it's, it's it's again interesting that China is now battling to stop the import of this disease. Um, right. But also it, it tells you something about what's happening in Russia as well, doesn't it? That again, yes. Russia has been fairly quiet on this and the numbers, the numbers have begun to rise in Russia, but people have been wondering if they're somewhat underreported. And the fact that you have all of these Chinese citizens who are returning to China 
um, because China's so much better than so many other countries at spotting it now, because they've had a lot more practice, then this is all being picked up. Um, so maybe that tells you that the situation in Russia is maybe worse than, than they, they maybe that maybe than they know themselves. It might not necessarily be a deliberate attempt to to suppress the news. Mm. I mean, that's actually quite interesting. Um, I think this is definitely something that we need to be looking at because, I mean, if obviously if it's having the effects um, in traffic coming from Vladivostok, which is obviously the main, I mean, there's only, I mean, literally there's only one road into Sweifunha, right, from Vladivostok, right? Um, but it's also, it's clear from Vladivostok, there's also the line into North Korea, right? Right, which... Um... Which could, if you wanted, bring you onto your conversation piece, and you could mention that. Maybe we'll just mention the fact that you've got a piece out about because we talked about North Korea over the last couple of weeks and the lack of response, yeah. and you wrote a piece in the conversation. So maybe for those people who've not seen it, go look that up. It's quite a good read. Yes, um, just have a little look. Um, yeah, so I was uh, just wrote a little bit about kind of the way in which um, it's handling. So obviously, some testing has been done in North Korea, and all the tests that have come back actually no one has actually had it um which is interesting obviously we're not talking about any kind of systematic testing i mean it was, they tested you know, like less than 800 stuff. people didn't they yeah but it is interesting that no one got it i mean so it's um but i mean that's a good obviously that's a very positive thing and anyway and i mean i'm sure if you took 800 for most uh countries you could find a similar sample pool right um but it, it, you know um one of the things are key things that i wanted to kind of uh, to put across in there um although that yes the state stance is that no we don't have it here um there, there isn't this sense of we're not going to have it here we're not you know like obviously this is we're too good for this or anything along that kind of rhetoric i mean it's there's no suggestion at all from North Korea that they might not get it. But what they're trying to do, and it's really quite clear when we start looking at the ways in which the cogs of the propaganda machine is, is that they are preparing themselves for it. Um, and they're doing this in particular kinds of ways. There's a lot of talk about how bad the situation is in South Korea, right? which is potentially what you'd expect from North Korean propaganda. But it is a lot of the measures that are being put in place by... Uh, the North Korean central government in order to um, prevent this. Um, so it does seem that they are taking it seriously. Um, but yeah, there's still the stances that it doesn't exist in North Korea. So yeah, anyone who is interested, uh, yeah, the conversation has a, um, published a piece on that. So I'm conscious of something that's just happened in my house, which is that my mother-in-law has just started preparing food. Obviously, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Got to start preparing dinner, right? That's so. As we press on, there may be some chopping noises in the background. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> on cue. <laughs> so uh, let, let's see how this goes. Um, I've got um, I've got a, a positive story and an oddity to talk about. Um, but the, I mean, they're both COVID-19 related. Is there anything else you want to discuss particularly? Um, no, I don't have anything. Right. Shall, I, sh shall we do the heartwarming positive story and then we'll do the oddity? Sure. Um, so, um, so the heartwarming story is about pandas in the Hong Kong Zoo. And uh, pandas in a Hong Kong Zoo, as I'm sure you are very aware, um, the big problem with pandas is that uh, it's just a miracle that they've continued to survive and the only reason they're not extinct is because human beings think they're quite cute 
because they're rubbish. They're, they're, there's like, in the wild, there's like, I can't remember, like 200 different kinds of bamboo and only like two of them that pandas will eat. Uh, so uh, they're really, really fussy eaters. They have to eat massive loads of it as well because they shit out most of it. They're terrible at mating. Like, they are really, really fussy when it comes to actually being with a mate and then they don't really like spending time with each other. They like to live alone. So there's just no good evolutionary reason for pandas to still exist other than they're quite cute and the uh, any other animal with those sorts of traits would have died out years ago and we wouldn't still be talking about them. But they haven't died out and they're kind of a symbol of, of conservation, right? In the, in the attempt to save pandas and to, to help get them to reproduce around the globe. So most pandas who... Uh, most pandas who become pregnant in uh, zoos around the world, they use artificial insemination um, because it's just so rare to get to because they're so fussy and there are just not very many pandas. So it's really hard to get two pandas together who actually want to spend time, spend time. That's, that's not how you get pregnant, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like yeah, go for a meal. Kind of um, but in uh, the in the zoo at Ocean Park in Hong Kong, um, which the zoo is in lockdown because of COVID-19, so they've got no, nobody is around, nobody's bothering these pandas. They have got together. After 10 years, they've got together and have mated, and it seems that the female is pregnant. Um, now, we don't know for certain that she's pregnant, and so uh, a panda pregnancy lasts, I think, is it 10 months it lasts? Pregnancies last about 10 months. And you can't detect, because you remember panda babies are like tiny, aren't they, right? So you can't detect a panda pregnancy until about two weeks before the baby's due. So we won't know for sure for months that she actually is pregnant. But it, it appears that they successfully mated a few days ago. And uh, we could have baby panda or, or, you know, multiple baby pandas coming out of this. So uh, the zoo must have been one, just one big pandemonium. I don't want to over-egg the pudding here, but that is the worst joke I've ever heard. Yeah. Wow. That is a, that's a, that's a good story. But it is quite interesting. There's been quite a bit on the news about kind of how lockdown has causing increases in horniness around the world. Um, I don't know whether or not that you saw there was this article about the triple sales increase of sex toys in New Zealand. I, 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 I wasn't Googling for sex toy sales in New Zealand, so... It's, I, I didn't catch that. And the premium service of Pornhub as well, isn't it? Was offered for free, I think, last week. Or something. Uh, I, I think. I mean, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not, I'm not sure. But, but yeah, I, I heard, yeah. Um, Some of that will need to be cut out. Uh, yeah, so that was the pandas. That was my heartwarming story. Um, my uh, Pacific oddity, uh, back to Japan. And again, it is COVID-19 related, but it's really hard to find stuff that's not COVID-19 related. Having said that, of course, Kate Martin does send us a story every week. We've not we've not come to her story this week, um, but we still appreciate you sending us the stories, Kate. And Nick did want to talk about it, but I said I don't want to talk about koalas, so we've left yeah. it. Right. No, you just talked about it. No, I haven't talked about it. I've just mentioned koalas. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they're a, they're another animal. Koalas are, koalas sleep for twenty two hours a day. I know, and they're really weird. But did you ever see that photograph that was sent out about koalas when they're wet? That's pretty scary. But yeah, if you no. Google a wet koala, <laughs> the picture is a pretty frightening picture. Oh Jesus, that's terrifying. <laughs> I told you, right? Right. Well, 
That's that's put a whole new slant on koalas. So my Pacific oddity is uh, back to Japan, and it's a university's graduation ceremony. And because of social distancing, people, the students, were not able to attend their own graduation ceremony. Uh, so this university is, I have to confess, not one I'm very familiar with, although it is in Tokyo. Have you heard of BBT University? No. It stands for Business Breakthrough University. Um, anyway, so Business Breakthrough University in Tokyo, um, they used a couple of robots to replace their students at the graduation ceremony. And so the way it worked is that the students' faces appear. So the, the, the robots are sort of loosely human. I mean, they're not very humanoid, human-shaped. Uh, but they have, like, screens where the faces should be. And uh, the students' faces appeared sort of by direct link on the, on the screen so that the students could sort of attend their graduation ceremony virtually. And then the photos of them dressed in a gown, obviously, as a robot, would be able to be published afterwards. Oh my god! I as you were talking there, I decided to kind of have a look and I typed in BBT University, and this is the first thing that came up. That's hilarious. They look like some kind of character out of Doctor Who. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yes, yes, they do. It it is a bit Doctor Who esque. Yeah, I was a bit. I, I was unsure whether we should include this because it's a bit. Uh, it's a bit cliche. This is oh look, here's a bit of an oddity. Look, Japan using robots because I mean, it's a bit you know, but. It is quite a Japanese sort of thing to do that sort of to do to have that sort of idea, and it's not necessarily a bad idea. So, what do you think? Maybe we should um, maybe we should put forward that we could do that here at the University of I say here at the University of Central Lancashire. This is my house, uh, but at the University of Central Lancashire, maybe we could do that because we've cancelled our graduation ceremonies for July, which is um, inevitable but sad. Um, I think for our students who have worked very very hard, admittedly not all of them have, but most of them have worked very hard. To get their degrees over the last few years, and I think it's sad that they're not going to get their summer graduation. But we'll we'll have a big party in December. Um, maybe we could have done this instead. Right. So I guess we can uh, we can draw a line under this. The robot story is probably a good place to end it. So um, we'll it, it, it's it's Easter, Nick. So with a bit of luck, uh, I might get the editing done this evening. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, so this might be out on Good Friday. So if it is, Happy Easter, everybody. Stay indoors. Don't forget to wash your hands every twenty seconds. I think that's right. Um, yeah. So, this has been fun. Let's do it again sometime. We just might. <laughs>